Amen, amen. Good morning, Identity Church. I hope y'all have had a great week. I know that I have. Um, I know that last week we got halfway through this, uh, and this may be the last part of our You Are So Loved. Uh, this would be part six, I guess, or this is a continuation of part five. I don't know how you want to look at it. But essentially, we've been going on with this for about six or seven weeks now, just talking about God's love for us and talking about understanding God's love that we can't be loved without knowing we're loved. Now, it sounds real simple, but it's truth. You know, if I truly know that I'm loved, then, you know, then I'm loved, right? I mean, we, we think, well, Dusty, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of course, if we know that we're loved, then we're loved. But you know what? There are people that we love that if you were to have somebody go ask them, well, does Dusty love you? Well, I don't know. He didn't, you know, double cross his eyes and give me a hug and give me a thousand bucks. And that's love to me. You know, that, that's, the, that's the thing that, that we have to understand is that love is not what I did for you. Love is not what I, what I gave you. Love is a choice. In fact, when you go look up the agape kind of love, the, everybody says it's the God kind of love, but I'm starting to change my mind about that. Everybody wants to use agape as the, this is the agape kind of love. It's God's kind of love. Well, I agree that God's kind of love is, is what we had to have, but love is love. And all of it's from God. He created every single bit of the love that we have. He even created us to have Eros kind of love where we have that intimate kind of love. Some people, some people may say, well, that kind of love is from the devil. Well, I hope not. I'm married to my wife and I want to have that kind of intimate love. <laughs> See, we're not, I'm not trying to teach you that there's one good love and then all the others are bad. I'm trying to teach you that the agape kind of love, the kind of love that God is pointing out in his word is a love feast. It's a smorgasbord, if you will. It's all this stuff that we get to choose. And he chose us. He could have chose anything. He could have decided that human beings were not good. You know, we've got whole groups of people that say, well, you know, the world would be better off without humans. The world was created for humans. This place wouldn't even be here if there was no humans. This was created by God for us. So love is a choice. The agape kind of love, if you will, is a choice. He chose to choose us. He could have chose dogs. There's a bunch of dog people in here probably. He could have chose cats. There's probably cat people in here. I know, you know, there's Pepper that just loves Matt. I know. But all of these choices, he decided to create us in his likeness and in his image. He didn't go do it for a cat. He didn't go do it for a cow or a deer or a rabbit. He chose us, humans. 
There are no other substitutes for us. By the way, we have just as much DNA in us uh, as you know a sheep is to a to an ape or anything else. So no, we're not descended from apes. There's that's stupid. That's that's not even science. If we had the same DNA structure, then I might go, okay, we are. But it's not. There's no difference. By the way, anything that lives, even a plant, we have like 60% DNA, the same as a banana. We have that same DNA structure. It's because God created all living organisms out of the same DNA structures. Sorry. Sorry, science people. Uh, I need to call you religious zealots, but when we get down to it, we still don't know nothing about it. We know more than we knew about it back in 1990s. But see, God chose us over the other animal kingdom, if you will. And see, that's what I want you to understand is that the agape kind of love means that I get to choose you no matter what. I get to choose you not because I like you. Like and love are, are two separate opposite ends of the spectrum. But see, I can choose people that I don't that I don't want to be like. I don't I don't have any I don't have anything in common with. I don't have a a, a worthy you know topic that I could bring up and we could talk about. You know, if Joanne loved to skydive and I'm sitting there going, Joanne, if I jump out of the plane, I'm not even sure the plane actually stays up when I get on it. That's how big I am. You know, I kind of feel like the plane just kind of rolls across the country like a car. So when people go, hey, you know, jumping out of an airplane is a good thing. I go, that's not for me. So that would not be a topic that I would bring up. But do I have to like everything that you like in order to love you? Absolutely not. And that's the that's the what love is in God's in God's economy. Choice is the greatest of the economic system. Because I get to choose you no matter if you choose me back. In 1 Corinthians last week, uh 13, 8 through uh 13. I kind of pointed out some things. You can go back um, and listen to that. But I'll hit the highlights. 1 Corinthians 8 through 9. This tells us about what man talks to God, uh, what God talks to man about. So just like we saw when we talked about King Saul, that God gave him a prophetic word. When he first got anointed as king, he went before the prophets and started prophesying over all of Israel. I'm king. And see, those words, just like it says here in 1 Corinthians 9, 8 and 9, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and 9, it says basically that if you have prophecy, it's going to cease. Well, it ceased pretty hard for, for Saul. He prophesied. He thought, man, my bloodline is going to be king over Israel forever. And you know what? Saul started getting over into divination. He started getting into to the ability 
to say, I no longer have a relationship with God, but God's mad at me, so I need to prove myself to him. So God said, hey, I'm going to cease your kingdom and I'm going to bring up another kingdom. And of course, we know that was David. But what we have to understand is that just because if I was to get a word of God for you, anybody in here, that word of God may be good. It may carry you a long way. But if God didn't tell you first, if you didn't have a relationship with him, if you didn't do it, eventually you're going to, if you have no relationship, it's going to cease for you. That word's going to mean nothing. I've had plenty of words spoken over me in my life. Tons. Lots of them God has not spoken to me about. I don't even remember some of them. Because God didn't tell me first. That was not something that me and God had a conversation about. I didn't even have a desire about it. And somebody just comes up and, and says something to me or tells me, I think God's telling you to do this. You know, everybody knows my background. Everybody knows my story about ADD, dyslexia coming up and everything. But one of the things that, you know, Joe Chafin had a word from the Lord to go talk to somebody. He come and talked to me. Well, the Lord already put on my heart that I needed to be a computer engineer. I just didn't know how to get there. There was no opportunity. I, did, I wouldn't have even known. I thought, well, hey, most people who are computer engineers, they go to college. Well, Joe gets a word from the Lord, goes and talks to somebody that has a Nobel background, and Joe comes and tells me. And everybody goes, well, that's no big deal. I mean, you just... We're helped out. Somebody, somebody gave you some information. Well, that's the way God talks. God leads and guides us into the truth. And then that truth sets us free. Do you know that when I got a hold of that truth and God said that's the way you should go and I'm, I put it in your heart, this is what you need to do. And then Joe goes down you know, he's just walking in his workplace and he looks at this guy and the Lord says, go talk to him. He just asked him a couple questions. What do you do? How'd you get here? And he said, well, I went and got this certification. I did this thing. Well, Joe Chafin came back and said, the Lord put you on my mind. I'm just going to tell you about this novella. You go do whatever you want with it. The moment it hit my ears, I was like, oh, that's, I need to do that. And you may be thinking, well, that's easy. There's all kinds of novel places now. There wasn't then. I would have had to have went to Nashville or Atlanta or, or Dallas or one of these other places. I looked at the Texas lady over here, but I mean, I, I'm, you know, like, like Dallas, like she owns it over here. But I mean, my, she does, she owns it. But, but, you know, I'm sitting there going, Lord, I don't want to leave Alabama. I don't feel like I should leave Alabama. My then fiance was telling me, no, we're not leaving Alabama to go to Atlanta or anything. Do you know that Bessemer Tech opened up a novel? I'm talking about within weeks of Joe telling me that. He, the Lord opened up novel at Bessemer Tech. I took it along with 12 other people and they shut the program down the moment I got certified. Now I got news for you. People go, well, I've never had God do anything in my life. I got news for you. I got stories like that I could tell you all over. I haven't left Alabama to do nothing, and he's brought all this stuff to me. 
Bible college. They didn't have a Bible college before God told me to go and do this. I tell all the people at Karis Birmingham, the reason why you are able to go to Karis is because of me. <laughs> Lord said, hey, I, I got to go to Karis. And so, you know, I'm not going to Colorado or Atlanta. Lord, bring it here. And all of a sudden, Cynthia gets the, the word to go over here. Now, some other people have told me that it was for them, but I don't believe it. <laughs> I, I just know the way the Lord works for me, okay? But I want you to understand that, that those were words that I already had in my heart. And then the prophecies caused them to magnify. It caused them to, to lift me up. And I said, okay, now I'm going to start believing but see, that was the problem with Saul. Was Saul got down to the point of saying, I don't have a word to go on, but God caused me to prophesy about my kingdom before. So I'm just going to live off that word. And the thing is, is that as we saw with him, he made mistakes. He got impatient. So now besides going and asking God, hey, God, what should I do? Should I go and attack the Philistines over here? He said, you know what? I think God's mad at me. I need to pay God off. I need to, I need to bribe him. Who, who can I bribe, God? What, what can I do? Can, can I bribe? I'm going to give you this money. I want you to bribe. Okay, now, bless everything that I'm about to do, okay? Because I gave you that. So I'm going to go over here and attack the Philistines. Guess what? Give me my mind. <laughs> I need to forget about it. But, but he wanted God to bless his, his hand based upon, um, you know, the old, you know, left-handed handshake, you know. I, I greased God's palm by doing the sacrifice. Now he's going to bless what I want to do. He never asked God. Not one time did he go and pray before God. He would go to Samuel and say, let's go sacrifice. And Samuel would go, no, let's go ask God. Do you know that Samuel went and asked God for him and then Samuel would come back? Well, Samuel got busy. I mean, I got news for you. Don't look at me and say, Dusty, I need something from the Lord so I want you to pray about it because I may get busy and not be able to do that. That's why Jesus came for each and every one of us is so that we didn't have to have a high priest that we went to to go and make intercession for us. Now we can go and intercede to the Lord on our own behalf. We can boldly walk into the throne room of God. And we can ask Him, hey Father, what do you want to do? See, this was, this was Saul's problem. Was that he said, I can't go before God. I've sinned. But I can go, every time he made an offering on his own, Bring me the, the fatted calf. Bring me the sheep. Bring me this. It was always a peace offering. He did it twice. He was trying to make peace with God. God wasn't mad at him. Now, God was upset because he was treating him like Baal. He was treating him like a, he was treating him like a, a pagan idol. Oh, bless my thing, Lord. If he had asked the Lord, hey, can I go and attack the Philistines because they're attacking us, God would have given him an answer. But besides that, he turned around and said, nope, 
I need to make a peace offering with God so that he will bless what I want to do. I want to go in there and kill all the males, take all the females, take all of their gold, take all their possessions, and I want to heat them up for myself. That's what we found out last week. When he told him, he said, hey, go, go kill the Amalekites. Go, go out and destroy them utterly. Don't take any of their possessions. Oh, well, I, I took their king. I took their women. I took their cattle. I took their children. And what did we find out? If you go look at the end of 2 Samuel where Saul gets killed, him and his son, Jonathan, who kills Saul? An Amalekite. If that ain't irony, I don't know what it is. I mean, God goes and tells you utterly destroy them, and then he saves some of them, and the, the, one of their kids comes along and kills him. See, we don't always understand all the things that the Lord wants us to do. But sometimes we have something that we have to utterly destroy in our lives. We have to utterly get rid of. We have to utterly shun because it will come back and harm us. And that was what it was for Saul, is that he could not see beyond himself and that when he went out to the Philistines, when he went out to these people, all he saw was gain. He didn't see betterment of his own people. What can I get from me? And see, God was trying to get, God was trying to get Saul to do things for Israel. That's when he said, I'm looking for a man that is after my own heart. We talked about this last week, just really quick, that faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is, is love. That word greatest right there. That word greatest is, is this word, um, uh, where is it? It's meazon, and it means the elder, the first so if we have God's, if we have the God kind of love inside of us, then we can have hope, which is expectation. And that hope and expectation turns into faith, which is trust. And when we have that, then we can trust what God says to us. We can trust what other people say to us. When we went through that process of love, hope, and faith. So today we're going to talk about the man that was after God's own heart. The man that restored God's will back into the people of Israel. The man that was called to lead Israel. And that is David. And what I want you to understand about David is, is that David was just like everybody else. David wasn't special. You know, God didn't anoint his mom right before David had him and say, David is the person. No, David was already born. David was out in the field praying to God, worshiping before God. David had a heart for God before God even put the oil that Samuel anointed him with. Do you know that David was a man not only after God's own heart, but he was a man after the heart of Israel. He believed in the people. He wanted to do the best for the people. That was what a king was supposed to be about. Now we're going to find out David didn't do very much for his own family most of the time. But 
He did have a heart for God and he did have a heart for Israel. But I want you to understand here uh, out of these two verses in 1 Samuel 16, 13 through 15, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. So Samuel had already went and dumped this oil on top of the brothers, but it never come out of the jar. Be about like me getting a vat of oil. And I walk over here and I go and I try to dump it on Jimmy. And it doesn't come out. And I come over here and I try to dump it on Joanne. And I try to dump it on Heather and so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, the Lord's like, nope, it's not it. It's not it. See, that was the way that the, the Holy Spirit worked back then was it was based upon I, the Holy Spirit worked with one person one time he was, there was no Jesus. So, so he had to, almost like a priest, they had to clean themselves. They had to be the king. They had to separate themselves out and the Holy Spirit would be on that one person. See, the great thing about us is that Jesus has made us a new creature in Christ Jesus where we have the Spirit on the inside of us. So we got anointed with this holy oil and it's, Ten times greater because the Spirit doesn't come upon us. The Spirit is in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. So it's way better than anything David goes. Because I used to have people, you know, we would talk about it at VCF. I remember me and uh, Jim McCain and little Jim, we would talk about, you know, oh, wouldn't it be so great if you were anointed king? And I remember we had some of those conversations. I was very naive about it. And I remember little Jim going, yeah, but we're so much better now. We have the Holy Spirit on us, in us. We don't have to wait until a prophet comes along and says, you're the one. Let's go dump olive oil on top of them. But see, this is what happened to David. Is all the brothers lined up and they tried to dump the oil on it. It was like, nope. Samuel's going, nope, not yet. Where's the last one? There's got to be another one here. Oh, it's little runny David out there in the woods. Well, bring him in here. And it says in the midst of their brothers said, the Lord came upon David from that day forth. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord departed Saul. So the spirit would come on one person. Well, departed Saul and went to David. And in distress, and it distressed the spirit from the Lord, for the Lord was troubled in him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. I got news for you. If you ever have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and you try to remove the Holy Spirit through sin, through whatever it is, you are going to be distressed. I know plenty of people who was walking with the Lord that was doing things in God and they turn their back on God and they live in utter hell. So this is what happened. There wasn't another spirit that came upon him. What happened here was that the spirit left. Now, now Saul had to deal with being separated from God. Now I know it's in other scriptures. I could go pull those up, but just really a concatenated version. Saul found out that the spirit was on David and he would go and do praise and worship you know, in the midst of Saul in order for Saul to feel the Holy Spirit again. You'll find that over and over again. He made him a psalmist in the midst of his presence so that 
he said the evil spirits. No, he was now having to deal with the world when he had been dealing with God. So the peace of God left him. In Acts 13, it says, and you know, afterwards they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, a son of Kish, and a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had been removed, he raised up uh, for them David as a king to whom he gave a testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. Now, what we have to understand is, is that what was God's will? God's will was for David to work with him. That we find out here, David would go and ask God directly. In uh, 1 Samuel 23, 4, it says, David inquired of the Lord yet again, and the Lord asked him, rise, go uh, to uh, Kilian, and for I will deliver the Philistines into your own hand. So David would go to God directly. He didn't say, hey, I went and found Saul, I, I mean Saul, uh, Samuel, and, and Samuel is going to go pray, and then we're going to find out what's going to happen. David would go to into his own prayer closet and he would go to God directly and he would say God what do you want me to do and see a lot of people think oh well you know when we pray God just gives us what we pray for no that's not true that we actually find out here in first chronicles 14 14 through 16 therefore David inquired again of the Lord and God said to him you shall not go up after them so David waited for an answer. It wasn't like, Lord, should I go and attack the Philistines? Amen, we're going to go attack the Philistines. That's not the way it happened. David would ask and he would wait for an answer. That's kind of the way you know, conversations happen. It'd be like if I went to dad and said, hey dad, you know, should I, you know, should I pay my bills? Okay, I'm not going to. Bye. I'm just going to go on. And dad goes, uh. I never even got to talk to you about it. What are you doing? I mean, that, that is the way we treat God most of the time. Lord, bless me as I go and apply for this job. Amen, I'm going to go do it. Lord, bless my family. I don't know what's going on with them, but and I really don't want to go find out because that's going to be dirty. Amen. All right. Well, I prayed God should have done it. And God's probably going, you might want to go find out if they're on drugs. You might want to find out if they are lost their job. You might want to find out these things. But see, what we do is we go, how can I get this off of me as fast as possible? I feel this burden. I need to pray for my family, my job, my people, whatever it is. Lord, all right, take it. Now I just absolved it of myself. Here you go. And see, that's what Saul did. So I was like, I don't even really care. I don't even really want to care. I just want to, I want to go down here and get those people's stuff and attack them, kill them, do whatever I want to do. And I want you to bless it, Lord, so that I don't have any casualties. So, all right. You like burnt offerings, right? Yeah, you like some burnt offerings? Well, here you go. I mean, Making burnt offerings rain over all of this place. Well, that's the way Saul treated it. If you go back and read the, if you go back and read it in uh, 
1 Samuel 15, 17 through 23 and 22. So Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. See, what we have to understand is that in verse 22, Samuel's pointing out the problem. You think that burnt sacrifices is what God really wants. You know why? Because he went and looked at some of his other people that was around and they were like, well, I got this idol called, you know, Dragon or I have Baal and I go and I burn sacrifices and every once in a while I do that and my crops grow. Well, you know, if you put a seed in the ground and you water it, it's going to grow. There's no spirit of the, of the soil that, that does this. God put a covenant on the earth, put it in good soil, seeds will grow. But they would go and they would burn sacrifices. Oh, Baal, help me out. Well, Saul said, well, that seems to work for Baal. I want it work for God. Because God did not want burnt sacrifices. But this happened six times. It's recorded that six times David would go ask God. And at no time did David ever say, you know what, I need to go burn a sacrifice. You know that the only time a sacrifice was ever burned was when, was when the, the Ark of the Covenant came in and the guy put his hand on it, died, and David sent it off. Okay, when he went to go retrieve it again because he went to the Levite priest and said, how do we really do this? I put it on a cart and they go, oh, you gotta go get priests that have been cleaned this way and you gotta put these certain poles and you gotta walk it. And the moment he did that, well, then now everything was right because it was a part of the law. It was a part of what God had set up for Israel to do. And see, David originally said, ah, I've sinned. I need, because I have no other way of cleaning myself, let's go burn sacrifices for that. It wasn't for God. It was for David. Jesus didn't come for God. He came for us. Does that make sense? I mean, I sometimes feel like that I hear people go, well, you can't say that praise and worship is for you because it's really for God. No, God doesn't need our praise and worship. God wants to put praise and worship in a place to where we receive it. Now we have relationship with him. It was not about the praise and worship. It was about me and God being in relationship. It's like me and dad, if we decide to go to Milo's, hallelujah, and we're going to go eat some hamburgers and eat some cheesy fries, right? And a big old cup of sweet tea. Was it about the Milo's or was it about sitting down with dad and talking to him? Well, dad may say it's about Milo's, but really at the end of the day, it's about me and him being together. Amen. Praise and worship is about you and God being together. Praise and worship and being in the presence of God and speaking to God and having your prayer time is about relationship with Him. And see, David understood that, but Saul, Saul didn't want that. I mean, I got to get in front of God. I want to do that. See, this is the thing I want you to understand is that David inquired of God and sometimes God said, no, 
I don't want you to go do that. I want you to do this. Circle back around, and it says in verse 15, and it shall be that when you hear the sound of marching on top of the mulberry trees, then you shall go to battle, for God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And it says David did that. See, God wanted to go and fight for David. There's sometimes God wants to go make it a little easier for you. A lot of times we pray, Lord, how do I handle this situation? And God says, don't. I'm going to take you away from the situation. We're going to go over here. We're going to go do something else. We're going to make something better of this situation than you fighting this quagmire in the middle of this situation. That situation is probably going to keep festering because it's not yours. Do you know that a lot of times problems are of people's will? And I can't go change people's will. Like if, if somebody was to tell me, well, I really want to be a part, part of God, but I also want to go take drugs. Okay? Well, if you take drugs, it's really going to screw your life up. Well, I know, but I really want to do that, but I also want God too. Okay, but the longer you go take drugs, you're going to have consequences. Oh, I know that. I can't change that. God can't change that because he put in his word that people's will is above his, his want. That's why we have the mess we have today is because God loved us so much he gave us free will. And our free will, I can say today, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pay my bills today. I don't care if they come take the house. Well, you know what? Heather may. The kids may. Because they wouldn't have a place to live. Well, that's not going to change. It's not... No more, no more than, than what Heather wants to. If I decided I don't want to do it and I'm the one that pays the bills, then she can want all she wants. And we'll still lose the house. Now, I'm trying to paint this picture because I want you to understand that sometimes God says, that is a fight that you're not going to win because it's not your fight. I'm going to take you the other way and I'm going to help you fight another fight on different battlegrounds because your will actually matters in that situation. Does that make sense? Because I, I want you to understand this, that sometimes we go fight a battle that it's not our will. I, I can't change a situation in somebody else's life. If somebody came to me and said, I have these problems and I have these things. And I go, if you do the word of God, if we go and live this life, I'll help you. But I can't do it for you. Then the will of the person supersedes my will and the will of God. Well, how can it supersede the will of God? People do it every day. Do you think it's the will of God that people are out here Rioting, protesting, killing people. No, it's not the will of God. The will of God is made known to man. And man can either follow it or they don't. And God says, sometimes I'm going to tell you, no, don't, don't go fight that way. 
go th- back around here by the mulberry trees, and then we're going to be able to fight the real battle, the one you can win, because it's your will that matters in this situation. I changed the will. We went and fought a good battle, a good fight. You know, a good fight is the one that you can win. You know, Pastor Jim used to say that all the time when we were at VCF. He would go, he'd go, go fight the good fight. Well, which is the good fight? It's the one I can win. There's going to be some times I can pray for somebody and they're not. I knew the moment that I, that I prayed for them, it ain't going to matter. I'm going to tell you, we, we didn't really talk about this, but, but um, Lena, you know, Helen comes and her sister Lena came. And if everybody remembers, we did the card. Yes. Well, we did the card and we sent it to her because she had uh, some problem. I can't. Huh? Well, she had COVID, but she had something else had too. Thing. She had a heart thing. But then she got COVID. Well, you know, she was in the hospital. Well, we asked her, what are you, what are you praying for? What are you believing for? We knew her will. And we prayed and we agreed with her. She's at home. She sent us a card for a thank you because we as Identity Church sent her a card telling her that we're believing with her, we're standing with her. We gave her, because we couldn't go make her a meal or anything, we sent her a a gift card so that she could get a meal. At the end of the day, she's at home because that was a fight worth fighting. It was the good fight of faith because it was one we could win. It was the one where she said, my will is I want to have my heart fixed and I want COVID gone. And I think she even had like pneumonia at one point and all that cleared up. Amen. Do you know why? It's because she willed it. And she said, I just need somebody to stand with me. And you know what we did? We got together, we prayed for her, and we stood with her and her will was what helped us to be able to drown that out. Miles apart. Miles apart. We could be on the other side of the world. See, that's what I want you to understand is that the good fight, the thing that God wants you to do is, let's talk about it. What's my will? And I don't want you to get bogged down in other people's will. Help change it if you can. If you have an inroad with people, help them. But if they're, you know, have you ever known somebody that when they talk to you, you go, you would sit there and say, well, This is the way it is. And they would go, yeah, but. Well, you know what? Everybody has a but, and they all stink. That's what happens. When they stick their butt out like that, they go, yeah, but. You just go, oh, God, i got to hold my nose, and we're going to get out of here. Because if they keep showing their butt, you have to leave. You have to go fight another fight. The yeah buts are, are what kill everybody's belief system. You know, I prayed for people out of ignorance just because I thought I've got enough faith to be able to overcome their situation. And the answer is no. I don't. Now, the yeah but people, sometimes God's working on them. And you've got to let God continue to work on them. So when you go to pray for somebody, let's just say mom said, I got a problem. And I want to love on her. And I'm sitting there and I go, mom, 
you can be healed of this or we can pray over this situation in peace. And she goes, yeah, but then you just give her the truth and you don't pray for her. Does that make sense? Now, I pray God change her heart. Show her the things. Let her listen to the word. Let her do those things because I've got to get her butt out of the way. That is the problem that most people have is their butt is in the way. I got a big one. So if it ever gets in the way, you know it. But see, that's what happened to David. And see, in, in 2 Samuel 12, 9 through 14, we start seeing the outcome of what happened to David. And David, in the time where kings are supposed to go to war, he stayed home, sleeping late, gets up, he flips on the porn channel on top of his roof every day at 9 o'clock. He sees the women bathing on top of the, whoo, look at her. You know what he does? He goes over there and he, he has an affair with, with Bathsheba. And see, what happened to David and Bathsheba was is that Bathsheba got pregnant, which is usually what happens. And now, I want you to understand something. This is kind of a, when you, when you really read this, this in, the account the way that it's meant to be read, you really start seeing there's a couple of things that are happening here. I'm not even sure Bathsheba was Jewish. I know her husband wasn't. So we'll get into this a little bit more, but I want you to understand that, that Israel was this sort of a melting pot this time. David was bringing peace. There were people who were coming and going and, and, and bartering and, and being a part of the things of God. There was actually, if you want to know the truth about it, there were Gentiles that was actually coming into the, into the faith of, of Judaism, if you want to call it that at the time. But what I want you to understand here is that David did some things that was against um, God. It was against um, Bathsheba. It was against everything. I mean, how many people know that, especially back in these days, you didn't say no to the, you didn't say no to the king. If the king says, hey, we're going to sleep together, that's what ended up happening. I mean, he had generals and all this other stuff that when Uriah the Hittite, most people, I think, go over the fact that that these people probably were not Israeli. And I think some of that also played into David's mind. I know I'm, this is Dusty-ism uh, right here, but I do know that Uriah was a Hittite, right? But I do know that David probably thought to himself, well, this is not an Israeli girl. I can treat her however I want to treat her. And I also can, can treat these her husband any way that I want to treat him because he, he works for me. And see, what we find out here in 2 Samuel 12 through 9 was that he had had Uriah killed. He had him put on the front lines. He even told his generals, go and put Uriah. And it was like, Uriah loves you. 
Why would you put somebody who loves you like that on the front lines and then allow them to be killed the way that they were killed? The generals are looking at him and going, you want this guy to die. There was nobody in this room when, Sam, when, when uh, Nathan come in and started talking to David that didn't know what the heck happened. David was in all of their minds, they said, he's king, but he's also wrong. And so Nathan strolls into this place and he tells him about the U.M. Everybody knows the story about the U.M. But he goes in there and he says, ah, David, Nathan is the prophet. Nathan had taken over for Samuel. And he goes in there and he says, I want to tell you this story. And David's over there drinking with the, the men. Oh, we had this battle. We've won it. It's all great. And he goes, let me tell you about this story about a man and his ewe lamb. And the man, there was a rich man and there was the, a poor man. And the poor man had the ewe lamb. And the rich man took the ewe lamb and killed the ewe lamb. And it incensed David so much that he said, this person has to die today. This person should die. Bring him to me right now. I will kill him myself. You know what Nathan said? He said it right here. In 2 Samuel 12, 9 through 14. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight you have killed Uriah, the Hittite, with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him because you despised me and have taken the wife of, of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I raise up adversaries against you from your own house. Now what you got to understand is, is David was the strongest, most powerful man in the known world for them at the time. He could go destroy everything. They had just went and annihilated most of the Philistines. That's what they were doing was they were finishing up the last battle to kill the last of the Philistines. There's a reason why Solomon was very prosperous. is because his dad went on a warring tirade and killed all of their enemies. So much so that God said, you're not going to build a temple, but Solomon will. So you have to understand the most, to everybody else, the most bloodthirsty, powerful man in the world is David. Who dares talk to David like this? But Nathan said, you're this guy. You're this person. You're worse than what you've ever thought of this person that you wanted to kill. And so from your own house, because guess what? No one else is going to stand up to you. Somebody from your own house is going to stand up to you. See, what we have to understand is when, when all this was happening, when all this was going on, see, David was probably mid-40s about this time. And Bathsheba was pregnant. And he says to him, he says, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and I shall lie and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. And for, for you did in secret, but I will do these things 
before all of Israel and before the sun. So Nathan said to David, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, The Lord has put away your sin, and you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Don't you understand? God knew David had a heart for him and had a heart for Israel. But David did not know how to live his own life. He did not put into his kids. You can go and find all this stuff out. David was a bad father. I'm just going to say it. Some people might think this is bad, but just go read it. His kids were screwed up. In fact, the person from his own house was Absalom. And Absalom went and had an affair with his sister, took over the kingdom, split it while David was old. He went and had an affair on top of the building with David's wives, concubines, and all this stuff in front of Israel, which is exactly what it says right here. And you know, the other thing that really, you know, in plain sight, David's name was tarnished. It was tarnished with the people outside because Uriah was a Hittite. Think about this. David didn't care about the people that was outside so that it created more enemies. Created more people as, as all the enemies had been killed off. Now there were other people that were like, well, you know, David and his God went and destroyed all these people, but then he goes and he takes their wives and he has them killed. He's no different and his God is no different than Baal. That's blasphemy. There's actually scriptures that you find out later on towards the end of his life that, that people actually came and said things like this to him. What you have to understand is that God was trying to bring peace to Israel because Israel had asked for this king. He was trying to do it through the king. And what happened was is that David went and basically messed God's name up in front of all these people. He was, he was not above reproach in God's eyes, but to the rest of the world, David, David really didn't have anything happen to him. He actually kept Bathsheba. Solomon was born. But because of David's shortcoming, Solomon actually fell away. I thought that baby died. So that baby died, but Solomon was born later to Bathsheba. See, that's what you have to understand is that David was a bad father. David was, was bad to his own family, but he listened to God. You know, I look at it like this, that even the greatest of us need to be able to have all facets of our life looked at by God. We just don't give those, those things. I mean, if God tells me to go do something, because I've heard ministers before say, well, God called me to go do this and my family should just get in line. Do you know that that never worked with us? With all of our kids, we, we let them have time to marinate, if you will, in what God was telling us to do. And there was nights of crying and there was nights of, of discussion and there was nights of saying, but what about my friends? What about these people? And I would go, keep your friends. Keep going and doing these things. 
And eventually, God starts speaking to them and they start going, oh, this is where we should be. But see, David never did that. Just because you're called to something doesn't mean that you're not called to something else. The moment you have a kid, the moment you get married, the moment you have a family, you're called to that just as much as you're called to anything. I love what um, you know, Brother Hagen used to say. He said that his ministry didn't really take off until after his kids were out. So he pastored a small little church and then his kids grew up. Well, now his kids run his ministry. He's, he's been long dead, almost 20 years now. And his kids are still running Ramah. But see, that's what I'm getting at is the fact that David should have put into his kids way more than what he was putting in to the to his you know his armies and and to all the other things. What I want you to understand here is that you know Solomon had all of his failures because he was prosperous, but also he didn't know how to handle it. Eventually Solomon got into idols. Now he come back. But God told him, said, don't go take all these wives from all these other places and then take in their idols. You know, David's actions had these consequences. And what we have to understand is that our actions have consequences. No matter if God is calling you to do something, no matter how much God loves you, there are times where consequences for our actions are going to outweigh the benefits. If and I'm saying this, if we go down those other paths. And see, we can either be like Saul and we can say, oh, God, I'm just going to keep praying or I'm going to keep giving or I'm going to keep doing whatever and I'm not really going to talk to you because I'm kind of ashamed to talk to you, like Saul was. I'm ashamed to talk to you or I just need to get back into fellowship and relationship like David did. You know what David did with the rest of his life? David dedicated it to God. You know, David didn't fight that much more after this. His kingdom was peaceful from that point forward. But he still had consequences for his actions. Absalom did his things 20 years later. He was probably like 60 years old. But I want you to understand that God is calling us to understand that our failures don't stop our life. We sometimes have to deal with the consequences. But God has us, you know, God has his ultimate goals that will come out in our life if we just stay in relationship with him. So you got to think about this. David dies. He's like 78 years old. And you think, oh, well, David's known as this bad, probably bad person to a lot of people. Well, guess what? How many times do you think that the relationship between David and Jesus was brought up? 18 times in the New Testament. In the end, David's contributions and what God had for his life was that he was actually connected to Jesus. They called Jesus the son of David. Jesus was the... Jesus associated himself with this man that had all these faults, had all these things. And you know why? It's because God still loved David. God still wanted to use David. And even after the fact, 
God has continued to use David in conjunction with Jesus. You know, that, that's encouraging to me that I can go screw up so badly in my life. I mean, David murdered someone. And he still was known as being a part of the Messiah, the Savior of the earth. You know, I don't fault David. What I do, what I do look at is say, David, just like you know, a good father, is probably in heaven right now going, my children, as a part of the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, in Jesus Christ, I want y'all to look at my faults and I want y'all to love greater. I want you to, to expound further than what I did in my own life. Look at my shortcomings and apply Jesus to your life. Apply these things so that you're not having to deal with the consequences because you don't want the consequences to stop you. You know, that's probably David's greatest part of his heart was that consequences did not stop him from continuing. He would repent and he would move on. Amen? Amen. Did y'all learn something? I hope so.